0: Our scripture this evening will be from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of God. About one year ago today, this would have been December 25th, uh, 2021, Last Christmas, they launched something called the James Webb Telescope. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, It's something that I tend to enjoy uh, diving into. Uh, But this telescope is able to take infrared uh, pictures uh, from places in the cosmos that are far beyond anything we could see with our naked eye. And I actually have a picture here that I wanted to share with you this evening. The picture you're about to see is a picture of the pillars of creation. This is what they have titled this photograph. And what you'll notice in the photograph is that there are these sort of three pillars. And what these pillars are essentially is they are space dust and gas that are, that are sort of being created as new stars are being born. On the edge of the pillars, you sort of see these wavy lines, they kind of look like lava. The, there are ejections from the stars that are still being formed. Uh, young stars peri- periodically will shoot out these supersonic jets that can interact with these clouds causing that sort of glow that you see. These young stars are estimated to be only a few hundred years old and likely will continue to be formed over the years. Now, What's amazing to me about this, and and the photograph itself is beautiful, and you can see beyond just the three pillars, all of the uh, billions of stars that are in the sky. But I find myself, when I look at something like this, I say, wow, there is a creator who created such incredible beauty in our own world and yet is still creating today. New stars are being formed. In fact, um, it, it actually, one of the crazy things about this is this takes place. So this is happening 6,500 light years away from our own Milky Way. Or it's in our Milky Way galaxy, but it's 6,500 light years away from Earth. Which is hard to wrap your mind of in and of itself. But think about it on another level. The Earth is just one tiny speck in our solar system. Our solar system is just one tiny speck in the Milky Way galaxy. In fact, to sort of give a little bit of um, reference to how big our galaxy actually is, it's the difference between the size of the landmass in the United States and the size of a single penny. Okay, and that gives you scale simply from our solar system to our entire Milky Way galaxy and to imagine that astrophysicists be believe that perhaps there could be hundreds to 200 billion different galaxies. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it kind of breaks my brain a little bit. In fact, recently, there was a recent new galaxy discovered, they called it a radio galaxy um, that is 100 times bigger than the Milky Way galaxy, again, What that does in me, when I think about that and I try to wrap my mind around and I see beautiful photographs from this incredible piece of technology, it creates in me a sort of awe, a sort of sense of worship that the God who created this world, that created you and me, also is continuing to create in the cosmos. And not only that, but he created a star, as we read in the narrative, that sort of guided these people to find where Jesus was born. The God who created all things uses creation to guide people. And on top of that, he didn't just create the cosmos in this incredible, beautiful galaxy that is so beyond our comprehension, but there was a time and space when he entered in to that story. When he entered in It wasn't a God who just created and then walked away and who was distant, but rather one who became human and entered into the story because he loved his creation so much. The reason I wanted to focus on the Magi this evening is I think that there's a theme that we're gonna see throughout uh, this, this story and this narrative, and it's this theme of unlikely things that happen. For one, I actually think that this is sort of an unlikely narrative. What do I mean by that? Um, One of the things that that I have to say in the beginning is that the sort of picture that we have of the nativity scene isn't always super accurate. right? We have these um, these three wise men, which uh, we may be familiar with the popular Christmas uh, carol, We Three Kings. Well, the truth is they're not actually kings. Um, we have this word magi. And this is actually really important because magi, um, or wise men, if you will, were sort of the educated elite of the time. But what that meant was that their way in which they interpreted the world, the way in which they made sense of things was through magic, it was through astrology, it was through interpreting dreams. And so you have... Magi, which, which weren't kings. And in fact, we don't even know if there were three of them. Now we do know there were three gifts, so many people assume that the Magi gave three gifts, but it's possible that there were more. There were five, or six, or seven, or who knows how many Magi. And lastly, the other thing about the story that's a little bit um, different than the way we picture it is that it's actually not all taking place in a, in a barn with a manger, um, but we find out this scene, when the Magi come to visit Jesus, happens later. It's in a house. And so we have these sort of three things going on in the the context here. But one one thing that I think is the most interesting is this. The magi, the magicians, the the astrologers, the dream interpreters. This word is actually only used four times in the New Testament. It's, it's mentioned a couple times in Acts and we see it in the Christmas story and we see it actually quite a bit in the Old Testament. But when it, the term is used, it's not really held in a positive light. It's got a negative connotation, right? And I can, I can imagine, we think about magicians, um, you, don't, you don't think about that being a, a sort of a educated elite person, all right? That's, a, that's not Harvard, that might be Hogwarts or something. Um, But here's the thing, and this is what most historians point out that I think is super, super important. The historians point out that this actually adds to the reliability of the narrative. Because if Matthew is selecting, and we know the gospel writers were really selective in what they chose, what they wanted to be in the narrative, and if the gospel writers um, chose this to be in there, it would have set off all kinds of red flags So by Matthew including the Magi as a big part of this story, what it does is Matthew is actually just telling it like it is. It wouldn't make sense for him to include this detail. And sometimes it's the messiness of these stories that actually make you think, you know, this probably actually happened like it was told. So it's an unlikely narrative. It's not something that you would expect meaning that all the messy details of what's happening here actually happened. The second idea that we get here is we have the wisdom of the world versus the unlikely wisdom of God. So let's go back and and just briefly look at a few things that I think will help paint this in a different light. When you go back before Christ was born, Julius Caesar had a, a funeral. And if you know anything about history, it's on that time when, when he was buried and they had the funeral for, for Julius Caesar. There was a supernova in the sky, in, in the universe that took place, and it created this really bright star, if you will. And so this was uh, really, really good for the astrology business, right? Because what it meant was when a king were to die, or if a king were to be born, they would associate a really brand, like a brand new light in the sky as, oh, there's a new king, or oh, a king has just passed. And so it happened, um, and again, these are dates from, from other source texts, but May 29th, October 3rd, and December 4th, there were this bright um, light that took place because of Jupiter and Saturn coming together to form this really bright light in the sky, perhaps the star reference here. We're not, we don't know this for sure but this was a historical thing that took place. On top of that, we know there was a major rumor going around about the Messiah. And we know this not just from um, the Jewish history, but we know this also by a lot of pagan historians, servetus, who wrote about uh, sort of this rumored Messiah or this rumored king. So it wasn't just the the, the Jewish belief that there was a Messiah coming, but also there, there was going to be this great king. And so here's what you got on the 29th of May or or whatever date, you see this star. And if you're an astrologer, okay, and you know about this rumor that there's going to be this king, you're going to go to Jerusalem asking, where is this great king? And so why, why does Matthew tell us about this? You see, I believe what Matthew is doing here in in a way is he's trying to show that you have the wisdom of the nations in the Magi bowing down and acknowledging Jesus Christ as the true wisdom of God. We have the elite opinion of the nations coming and acknowledging the true wisdom that is Jesus Christ being born. This is the kind of commentary uh, that we see from the Apostle Paul. So if you go to the first Corinthians, uh, Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the age? And then in first Corinthians one, uh, he says, "Has, has God shown the foolishness of the wisdom of the world? So God has been pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the gospel. I believe that's what this entire text is pointing to. And if you look at the features of the story, um, I believe that what what it's going to show is that we're learning the world's wisdom, this sort of elite opinion, is often true, but it's not complete. The wisdom of the world is both dated, and I'll explain what that means in a second, but it's also insufficient It's not entirely wrong, but it's not complete. So imagine this with me. The Magi, um, because of their arts, because of their training and their education, they see this star. And the star tells them that there is a king. They know that there is a king. And so they go to Israel, right? Because that's where the king would be born. And they get there and they find out the king's not there. They don't know where the king is. And so... We might laugh at this because we think, oh, the educated and elite of that time were magicians, astrologers, dream we all know that's nonsense. But if you think about it, it'd be pretty arrogant of us to sort of have that posture. When you think about even just 100 years ago, we had a lot of stuff very wrong about the world. Go back 40 years, go back 20 years, go back a couple years, We think we know, the the most educated people on the planet may believe they know a truth about reality, but the truth is this, the wisdom of the world is fleeting. I want to read you a couple headlines that I picked out over the last hundred years. In the 1980s, there was a headline, and this is from a respected newspaper. The internet is a passing fad as millions give up on it not quite. 1970, scientists predict a new ice age in the year 2020. No ice age, there was other stuff, but not an ice age. Um, 1903, man won't fly on the moon, or not moon, excuse me, man won't fly in general for another million years. Wrong on that one as well. You see, a shocking amount of elite opinion becomes laughable within a generation. This is why C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves, he says, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. So where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? The answer is always out the door. Now there's actually, it's interesting, when you read the text in its sort of original language and you try to interpret uh, what Matthew's trying to communicate, there's no indication that the star actually moved in the sky to take them to where Jesus is. So when you imagine sort of the nativity um, plays that we do, oftentimes you see a star coming down from the balcony, moving down and guiding them as they went. And that may be how it went down, but according to when you read it plainly, it, it almost doesn't look that way. When they first see the star, they connect this with, oh, there is a king that is coming in Judea. And they show up in Jerusalem and they say, where is this king? The star didn't take them to Jerusalem and they put two and two together. and By their own reason, they they come to this conclusion where this king was going to be born. But it wasn't wasn't by um, their arts and their training and their astrology skills that they were able to find it. If you go back and read, go to verse six. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, the way they found out where this king was born was actually through the prophet Isaiah. Excuse me, prophet Micah, got that wrong. Um, They found out because of the Old Testament prophet, through his mouth, where this baby was going to be born. See, the wisdom of the world was insufficient. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to know about astrology and to know the stars. They needed the word of God, the scriptures, to point them to where this king was being born. They needed the wisdom of God. You see, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. He has shown the wisdom of the world to be foolishness by the very birth of Jesus Christ. And the birth of Jesus is not just an ordinary man, not just an ordinary baby, but the birth of Jesus is the birth of a king. This king, however, was an unlikely king. So imagine the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a destination. It wasn't a New York or a Los Angeles or or Jerusalem for that matter. Bethlehem was a much smaller, more, more modest place to be born. And so you can imagine the beginning of the most influential person to ever walk this earth is born in a place in a space that breaks all earthly wisdom and conventions. He wasn't born in the expected place, he wasn't born in the right family. He wasn't he didn't have the right credentials. He wasn't born in a palace. He didn't lead an army as many thought he would. From what we can tell in in, in the scriptures, he wasn't especially good-looking. He wasn't he was born in what's probably perhaps the most unlikely of conditions. He was wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger which to me, as I'm thinking and and meditating on this and preparing for this, this message, I thought to myself, you know, Jesus was really an unlikely kind of leader, an unlikely kind of king, in the same way that his birth was a very unlikely type of thing, the way in which he lived his life and his ministry was also subverting expectations at every turn. For him, it was the way up was down, the way to get power was to serve. The way to get truly rich is to give your money away. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And in the ultimate climax of Jesus' life, what people were expecting was Pax Romana, which was peace by the edge of the sword. You see, the people were expecting Jesus to, cut, to make a revolt, that there would be peace by the edge of a sword, but instead, how does Jesus in the climax of his life lead by giving his life, by sacrificing his life on the death on a cross? Friends, this is not what was expected for the coming king, for the Messiah, for the one who was to come. The wisdom of the world is then turned upside down by an unlikely king. This king who was born in Bethlehem was born wrapped in cloth, laid in a manger, to a poor girl, an unwed mother in the wrong place to the wrong people. Friends, it was an unlikely throne in the manger for an unlikely king. And I wanna close by returning to this image of the pillars of creation, this, this beautiful capturing of what is beyond, I think even our wildest imaginations could ever think about or discover. God is a God who has been creating from the beginning And Jesus has been with the Father since before the beginning of time. He was not created by the Father, but he has always existed. Jesus as the creator, one who has created all things beyond our comprehension, beyond our imagination, beyond our power, beyond all human wisdom. That same God could have been a distant, far away God, could have just let the world go into ruin, but he didn't. He enters into time and space as a baby wrapped in cloth laying in a manger. A human who experienced the fullness of all human emotion. In the same way that Jesus came in a certain time and space, the same God who created this and who is continuing to create today, that same God longs to meet with you here now. The God of the cosmos wants to meet with you here and now. I don't know why you decided to show up tonight at the eight o'clock service, this is our last service, but I don't believe you're here by accident. In fact, I believe that the God of the universe wants you to know and hear the good news. And I don't know, as, as you walked in today, it may be your life, things have been a little chaotic. I know how the Christmas season can be. I also know how the, the holiday season can sometimes bring on some, some difficult emotions. Perhaps you're walking through a season of grief, of loss, of sadness. Perhaps loved ones who have formerly joined you at Christmas time are no longer here. I know, I know that's hard to walk through. Perhaps you walked in these doors tonight feeling um, like you don't belong here, like your, your life has been very far from God. You don't feel like you should even be foot set foot into church. Or perhaps you've been avoiding returning to a church community and, and you've been sort of wandering for a season. And the truth is, for many of us, maybe, maybe your life's just kind of a mess right now. Maybe things are just a little bit messy. I want to say this to you as an encouragement. The same God who created the cosmos is the same God who was born into the chaos and the mess, wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger. It wasn't a clean situation, it was messy. To a poor girl, an unwed mother, the wrong place, the wrong people. And the truth is this, that the God of the universe wants to enter into your life and give you hope. There is more to this life And the one who created you, the one who created the world wants to meet with you now. And here's the beautiful thing. This God enters into our mess. He doesn't expect us to approach him and clean ourselves up before coming to God. Rather, it was Jesus' life and death on the cross that took on that mess so that he wants to meet you where you are. This isn't figure it out, and then come and meet with me. This is no, I see you in all of your brokenness, in your longing, in your struggling, and I wanna meet you right there. That you are fully seen, fully known, and fully loved, and fully accepted. This is the hope of Christmas. Christmas that the God who created all things, who keeps things spinning together, who knows every molecule, every, every single inch of the universe, that same God has entered time and space in the most modest and unlikely of ways, wrapped in cloth, laid in a manger. It's an unlikely throne for an unlikely king. That's the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with hearts overflowing with gratitude. We meet with you here and now only because you made the first move. The initiating love of God incarnate who came in the most surprising of ways, the most unlikely of ways, And it is our prayer, Lord, that you meet with us here and now. Holy Spirit, wherever we are in our journey, meet us in the midst of it. We know there is hope in you. And so we pray this for the hopeless, for the lost, for those who are journeying, for those who are wandering, for those who are far. Know that they are seen and loved, and that we come to you not as a perfect people, but as a people who struggle and are in need of your mercy and grace. Pray all these things for your beautiful name. Amen.